When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Winning and losing with projections. That's what we're still talking about here on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotoviz. Sean, we've already done two episodes sort of talking through my projections, takeaways, not really focused so much on the projections as much as how to play these offenses, what the big takeaways were, what it means for draft strategy. We've had a lot of fun in the first two episodes hitting on a lot of the offenses that we would refer to as sort of the haves in that haves and have-nots equation. We talked a lot about the Chargers, Bengals, and Rams in the first episode. We talked a lot about the Chiefs, some of the Ravens in the second episode, spent some time with the 49ers talking about the top five tight ends a lot on that show. We're back here with more, and we're going to kind of focus, I think, a little bit more in this one on some teams that might be considered the have-nots. Maybe some of them have the potential to turn into haves. It's interesting. There's a lot of teams that are the clear haves, all the ones I just named, several others. A lot of them are in the AFC. We have this really fun group of 10 or so teams that are going to be good offenses, man. You want to play them. There's 20 other teams in the NFL as well. And there are some fun notes to think through with them. One of them is a team that you follow. Their head coach, they're going to be on hard knocks. Their head coach was wearing a shirt that said anti-fragility the other day, which I shot you a note on and you said, how do we get those shirts? So if anyone who listens knows how to get us those shirts, we need them. Fantastic Detroit Lions anti-fragility shirt that I'm hoping. We got to get you one. I'm hoping to get you one. I, I would love one as well. But yeah, we wanted to jump in with the Lions a little bit on this episode. So the Lions, a team last year and for several seasons, not very good, but at least appeared to be extremely competitive to take on sort of their head coach's mentality and to really thrive on giving some trouble to these teams that were much more talented than they were. And they also had some injuries within the context of the season we had moments at which TJ Hawkinson looked like an absolute star, but then he's playing a lot with multiple injuries and dealing with triple teams. He ends up kind of going out on a low note with those injuries. Somewhat the same for Deandre Swift, who broke out immediately pushed Jamal Williams to the side, looked like an elite runner an elite receiver, a guy who can create a big play at any moment. He obviously gets hurt and misses some of the key chunk of the season for all of our teams that we were into the fantasy playoffs with him in. That part was frustrating. But then you also get the Amon Ra St. Brown breakout at the end of the season and even a little bit of solid QB play from Jerry Goff. Now they have DJ Chark joining the roster. And Ben, he was the guy at the recent... Uh, family night scrimmage, a couple touchdowns, another big play. He has supposedly been the talk of training camp. And one of the things about the have-nots is that there is less emphasis on the guys who are dominating their training camps because people don't really care compared to people who are dominating for the Chargers or the Rams or the Chiefs or something like that, right? So Shark, not a guy who has experienced this massive ADP leap. I mean, he's going up, obviously. But that is interesting then within this environment where Jamison Williams, we do expect to come in and play and maybe even very quickly be the best receiver, even on this team with Amon Ra and DJ Chark, and would be tricky for fantasy managers probably because you don't know when you're going to get the value in a best ball. You know, maybe if you have enough receivers, you can weather the storm and then he gives you some of those big games late 
in a lot of ways, he probably works a little better for deep redraft leagues where you can just simply stash him. He's not in your starting lineup. You know you're not going to be counting on him early in the season anyway. But I'm interested in your target breakdowns and how you think that these offenses are going to play out. One of the things that I noted, and I have a separate sort of have-not team with some high target guys as well, but your projection, your target projection for Amon Ra is well above guys like Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Gabriel Davis, and your target projections for TJ Hawkinson are also strong. They're not like enthusiastic or you know anything like that. But with Hawkinson and Amon Ra doing well from a target perspective, where does that leave us with Chark? Where does that leave us with the rookie? Are you concerned that we could get cannibalization in this offense to where all of these kind of fun guys end up not working out for fantasy and or can I finally get you on board with making a few Jared Goff picks late? The place to start with my projection with the Lions, well, first of all, the place to start is that I'm pretty uncertain about it. They were a fun team last year. They still ended up with some pretty weird numbers. They ended up five whole percentage points to the negative and pass rate over expected really negative in that regard. Some of that's just because their expected pass rate was very, very high. So they ended up with a pass rate of 60.8%. That's not super low. Usually when you see these huge negatives, it's because the expected, usually the expected pass rate is in that range. And so when you see the big negatives, you see the pass rate in the 55% range. Their expected pass rate over 65%, very high. But they were a little bit, I guess, more run heavy than you'd like to see. Now they've added all this weaponry, especially with, you know, Jameson Williams coming late. You talked about DJ Chark. You have, Last year, we were sitting here saying they don't have any receivers. DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson are going to get all the targets. This is going to be a team that's going to get the most running back and tight end targets that we've ever seen. And we were pretty right on that, other than, I mean, we were still right on it, even with Amon Ra coming on late. I'm looking at their numbers from last year. Their wide receiver target share was very low. It wasn't quite as low because Amon Ra had this great stretch at the end. Now they have him. Now they have Chark. Now they have, you know, Jamison Williams. It's a different team, and maybe they won't be so negative in pass rate. Their general vibe was, you know, spunky and competitive. And anyway, I I could see being wrong. I'm projecting them just for a slight run lean or slightly negative pass rate over expected. I'm also projecting them to be slightly negative in terms of play volume. They were as well last year. I basically just split the difference between league average and where they were last year, so a little bit of regression. But they could be above average this year, right? So – I could be wrong here on play volume. I could be wrong here on pass rate. And then I also have in my notes, I have Amon Ra with a really strong target share. Because he closed the season, 30% target share in each of the final six games. I saw another source that's had that at 29% or higher in each of the final six games. Regardless, six straight games, very high target share. I saw some really good research on that this year. And God, I wish I could think of who it was so I could credit them. This is the worst because it's a young up-and-coming person who I'm following on Twitter and I'm a big fan of. Huge apologies. Please hit me up on Twitter so I can retweet it at least. But it looked at late-season splits typically aren't very predictive of the next season. It looked at it with rookies being more predictive. And we know rookies tend to come on late in the year. And so a split like what Amon Ra had in the last six games, it actually showed statistically is maybe worth paying attention to. Not, you know, Massively surprising, but it was research I hadn't seen before in terms of actually showing that. But we know that, again, rookies tend to, to be better late, and then we expect them to, to sort of really break out in year two if they show some something in year one. And so that all kind of fits together. So I have Almond Raw projected for a pretty strong target rate, 22.5%. Not a ton. I mean, that's not, that's not anywhere near the 30% that he had over the last six games, right? But leads the team. I have Hawk solid behind that. He's been solid throughout his career, but never really taken that next step that we hoped in year two and year three in terms of targets per out run. And and the bigger issue with him is he's never taken a step forward in yards per target type efficiency either. That was one of the things that I've said with his profile the last couple of years. If he could just be efficient and he looks like he has the type of profile, he could be a, it doesn't have to be George Kittle or Mark Andrews efficient, but being above average efficiency tight end on a yards per target type basis or with some touchdowns and he he'd look great. But three years in a row now, he's been pretty average. He dropped, actually, from year two to year three in both targets per run and yards per target just slightly. But I was really hoping we'd see that next step. We didn't see it. So I have him as the second guy. And then I wrote, there's a lot of ways to split everyone after that. And I threw in 
you know, DJ Chark is the guy, the, the one I have leading that crew. I have Jamison Williams playing nine games and a 15% target share and comes out to 8% of all the targets. I don't really know how much he's going to play, right? I don't really know how much he's going to immediately come on. We saw Rashad Bateman last year, for example, a good prospect who was hurt early, doesn't get the offseason, doesn't work into camp, comes in late, doesn't necessarily start earning volume immediately because he's still kind of working back to health and also probably hasn't had enough time to practice with the team. So how much does Jamison do down the stretch is, is open for debate. He could be a 20% target share guy that, that late in the year. He looks like that kind of prospect. It's a little bit of a question, though, of how healthy he'll be and, and how much practice time he'll have had. I think Quintus Cephas is still a pretty good receiver. He got hurt last year but was looking good in a small sample. They still have Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond. Not all these guys are going to make the roster. But that's how I projected it initially. Now, with Chark getting all this buzz, I would – be adjusting this projection, which I mentioned on a prior episode. I don't, I don't keep my projections fully adjusted, but I would be bumping Chark up. But I, I did, I did note there's a lot of ways to split Chark, Cephas, all these guys. But I guess I think I would then be in a position where I would have Amon Ra and Hawk pretty similar to where they are, and just Chark as this third other good option. I don't know that those that group that Chark, Cephas, Jameson Williams, Khalif Raymond. Josh Reynolds, those are all outside receivers, a little bit more vertical profiles. They're all sort of the same type of guy. Amon Ra's got the slot role locked down. I feel pretty good about his target rate. I'm actually a little bit surprised to hear you think that this is high. He is a second-year receiver. I, I, I'll come right out, and I just mentioned Bateman. I'll come right out and say, like, I ranked Amon Ra a full tier ahead of Bateman. Bateman goes higher than him in drafts. That gap is closed. They're, they're pretty close now. I think the last I looked, they're back-to-back in ADP in the source that I was checking. But I think in PPR, Amon Ra should be ahead of Bateman as the start of that group of year two breakout candidates that includes Bateman and Amon Ra. It also includes Elijah Moore, who has slipped a little bit. And for some reason, Devonta Smith, who's clearly in that group for me, goes like a round and a half behind all of them. And it's just a an easy pick. And we've talked about him a lot. Contrast for me how you see the offense is kind of breaking out. I mean, the idea that Amon Ra's role has a better moat than some of the other guys there, and that could help him make sense. It is interesting, especially because I know that you are relatively enthusiastic about these guys. He comes out to more than 20 targets ahead of Cortland Sutton and jerry judy one of the other notes that jumped out from your mailbag article was that you have sutton ahead of judy in your rankings and a a full tier ahead even though you have judy with two more targets anything about total team play volume there that is knocking down the broncos or you simply think that it's the depth this is just a projection trick. I mean, this is a great example of a projection that I did. Didn't really care about getting exact. This is why I tell everyone who will listen not to pay attention to my specific projections. But, like, I, I didn't really care about getting a super exact in terms of Sutton and Judy. I definitely had to project KJ Hamler for a lot of work, especially when I went back and made the adjustment after Tim Patrick's unfortunate injury. I wanted to make sure... I was projecting a decent share to the tight ends because I think Alberto and, and Dulcich will get plenty of work. But I, I actually have their wide receiver target share going way up, almost 10 percentage points from last year. Their tight end share coming down, their RB share coming down just a little bit, which is already low. Their tight end share was a lot higher last year. Obviously, they had Fant last year. I have their receiver share coming way up. A lot of the reason that it, it's that there's Sutton and Judy, and then there's also Hamler, who I have at 84 targets, which is probably a little aggressive but what are you gonna do you mean a little conservative yeah a little little conservative i do have denver below average in place per game which i was looking a little bit between their past data and green bays with nathaniel Nathaniel hackett coming over from green bay and green bay is always a little bit slow paced i don't know if i love that that's one that again this is another thing i wrote about when i released my projections is there's no way I can give all 32 teams and the number of inputs, there's like a hundred inputs on each team, right? The number of inputs, the same level of 
critical thinking throughout the process of doing all these over the course of a, over a month. But I go look at this right now and I go, why, why am I below average on plays per game on the Broncos? That doesn't, I mean, just slightly below average. They've been below average. The Green Bay's numbers were below average. That's what I have in my notes, but I don't really believe that that strongly. Well, one of the elements that could come into play there is that Green Bay is getting to go against the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions mm-hmm. and have been able to control those games. The Broncos are going to be going against the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Chargers. Controlling those games is going to be much more difficult, even with Russell Wilson. And so I do like the idea that you're probably a little bit higher kind of in your personal rankings than maybe you are on the projections here for them. We obviously had the note that drew a little bit of uh, fantasy attention that the Broncos would more or less go as fast as Russell Wilson wanted to go or as fast as he was capable of going or just whatever pace that he wanted, which you, uh, I think the implied idea there is that they could be fast, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, maybe the preference actually is to, I mean, one of the things that was always hilarious about Philip Rivers is that if he didn't commit a delay of game, it was only because he snapped it with 0.5 seconds left or the officials missed the fact that they ran out (laughs) of time. So, I mean, there are good quarterbacks who don't necessarily get these plays off and run just an insane number of plays per game. But I will say, I just, in my projection sheet, that's not the, the one I've released. I just bumped their plays per game pretty significantly. And, Based on the way that I'm spreading out the target shares, I mean, Judy and Sutton rise, but they don't rise to Aminar level. So I, it's an interesting question to to compare them. Um, what, where were you going with, with that comparison, sort of? Because I do – Sutton comes out wide receiver 25 in my projections. I ranked him – I'll tell you right now, but it's top 15. A lot closer to his ADP. Wide receiver 13. I mean, I – clearly not paying a lot of attention to the to the exact specifics of that projection. Well, we look at your receivers here, and you do have Cortland Sutton in between Mike Williams and Jalen Waddell. That is very aggressive, I think. It could certainly obviously work out. I If, if those are the prices, and obviously they're not exactly the prices, but I would prefer Jerry Judy at wide receiver 24 as opposed to Cortland Sutton at wide receiver 13. I'm very interested in the Amon Ra projection because – I want to be in on the second year players who have potential upside. It doesn't mean that they always have to come through, right? Not every player you draft is going to be a smash. If you are mentally trying to make sure that you don't miss with your picks, you're going to end up with players who don't have a wide enough range of outcomes, aren't young enough, can't be the guys who the following year are drafted three rounds earlier. We talk all the time about how you want to put together a team where you really do expect virtually every player on your team to go a couple of rounds higher than that in the 2023 draft. So when I'm looking at Amon Ra, when I hear you talking about, you know, where he fits related to Rashad Bateman relative to Elijah Moore, you and I have talked a lot. And the only reason that I don't have <laughs> like 70%, uh, it obviously wouldn't be quite that high, but Elijah Moore is one of my top, two or three players is because Garrett Wilson is so ridiculously inexpensive. That's the only reason because the market is giving you a chance to pick another player on the same team. And both players are going to deal with the fact that Zach Wilson is the question mark and will either make or break them. If you have two players who are dealing with the exact same problem and both have just crazy upside then I mean you have to take the less expensive one. But again, we talk about how, and you know, I was joking with you off the air that every time I go research a player that is relevant to me, because I'm above the market on them, I try to stay, you know, more aware of sort of the minutiae on players that I have ranked substantially above ADP, because I know that listeners and readers of Rotoviz are going to be a little bit more exposed to those players. So, you know, I, I don't want to mislead readers and listeners obviously but the kind of funny thing is that when you go through and you follow so many of these players you find out that every single player in the nfl is having an extraordinary training camp and so there i mean there's only so much that every <laughs> player can move relative but no, to each the other ones that we but, the ones that we like are are the important ones to pay attention to exactly <laughs> it's confirmation exactly. bias season baby 
Yeah. And you go in there and you hear that Elijah Moore is, I mean, I don't know how much competition the beat writers think that he really has on the jets, but I mean, you're talking about Elijah Moore as one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL based on what you hear out of jets camp. And while that's probably not true, the gap between where he goes in drafts and being a top 15 receiver is still significant. So then the question is, you know, how bad does Zach Wilson look? How split could this be? One of the things that jumped out to me here is you have Corey Davis projected for 10 more targets than DJ Chark. I'm guessing that based on news, you would probably shift that a little bit. But if Corey Davis takes 89 targets away from those two guys, then I actually become a little bit less interested in both of them. But yeah, so the concern there is that Davis still has a pretty solid contract, has been a pretty good target owner every year. He's like a pretty solid player. And I think as the vet, we'll probably play in two wide sets. There's a, maybe not being discussed enough that Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, one of them might not be out there in, in some of their two wide set stuff that they might run a decent amount of with their offense being a, sort of a Shanahan type offense. They brought in Uzama and Conklin and drafted Jeremy Ruckert. Might have some of these two tight end running formations. I want them to to put Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson on the field at the same time. I think it would be smart to put Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson on the field at the same time in those situations. I think particularly in the first half of the season, what we're going to find is that Corey Davis is going to be on the field some in those spots. And maybe it's more because he's more of like the slot type. I don't know, but who, who loses? I mean, I hear, I, I hear that. And I mean, it's almost in some ways the opposite argument that you made with Amon Ra. But again, you're talking about different offensive schemes. Yeah. But the way that they're covering more and what he did when he was on the field last year, I just, I can't imagine that he would be off, but even someone like Cooper cup. And one of the reasons why he didn't have some of the extraordinary outcomes in previous seasons is that, you know, he wasn't out there for every play. I, I don't think you can draft Garrett Wilson where they drafted him though, and have him not play, not play. unless he's bad. Yeah. And we haven't heard that necessarily so so then maybe it's maybe it's like i'm too high on Corey davis I, I, this is a really good thing to talk through i would say as you're balancing my projection and ranking of amon Ra and elijah moore throughout almost all the offseason i i liked elijah moore more than amon Ra, and they were going very close amon Ra started to rise a little bit in some formats and my projection sort of backed that up. And so some of my initial ranking here was in relation to that. Elijah Morris, I think, started to slip a little. I, I've, there's been a little bit of a gap between them in the most recent drafts that I've done where I feel like you can get more later. I'm not seeing Amon Ra last as much. So it's interesting. And we selected Elijah Moore in our most recent uh, Best Ball Mania 3 that you and I did together. And we felt... Yeah, it was a pretty nice price at that point. I, I have them in different tiers here. I think you've really highlighted something that's it's definitely making me think because I don't really – like I've seen them as pretty similar, and really the only reason I've, I have them in different tiers is probably the ADP I was looking at because I do remember being like, oh, man, this gap has widened. It had felt that way, and I'm seeing it here in the data. Uh, I Profile-wise, Moore has the, the better – prospect profile more draft capital and also had a really impressive rookie season when he was on the field he was electric he was incredible so this is a really good point that you've brought up maybe inconsistency with my rankings that i, I definitely want to keep considering i like them both and i want to draft both of them and i like them both more than bateman who's been going higher than them the whole year I do have Bateman one spot higher, but then Elijah Moore in my rankings. But again, I, I'm letting ADP dictate some of my rankings. I've mentioned that in the write-ups and, and on the shows. And Bateman's going quite a bit higher than Elijah Moore. I have them back-to-back, -back, which is – if you're you, if you're drafting off these rankings, you're not getting Bateman where I have him. I think he's overdrafted right now, and you might still get Elijah Moore. I like Bateman as well, but I do find that I don't get him. And so that is a good sign that the price is is a little bit tricky. Then while we're on the Jets, that is a perfect segue into the player that we did want to talk about, and that is one Brees Hall. He is one of my most rostered players, and the rest of that group includes guys like Wondell Robinson. We just mentioned Garrett Wilson and why, but Julio Jones, KJ Hamler, Kenneth Gainwell, all players that I expected the ADP to rise on and you would need to be heavy on them early because you were not going to be able to be 
as heavy at least on them late that's more or less played out i do think that there are exploitable opportunities early in draft season where you can see certain player types and player player profiles where the the price just has to rise and so you want to load up but a player i really thought was going to rise who hasn't and it's one of the reasons why he is my number two overall player in terms of exposure is Brees hall so a couple of interesting things here you addressed him in i don't like hearing that because i I, i'm getting i'm getting unsure about taking a lot of Brees hall so sorry Go ahead. Well, sometimes the most uh, rostered player is is a miss, and then you you have to use the rest of the player profiles that you've been aggressively drafting to to overcome that. And obviously, the player can get hurt, and then you're just out all of those shares immediately. But you have him ranked as running back 16, and you had a good question in the mailbag about ETN versus Hall and those two players not being in the same tier. You have ETN at 14, but there's a tier break then down to James Conner, Hall, Chubb, and Dobbins now you did say that after Dobbins it's a much bigger tier break than that previous tier break and that's an important note but the interesting thing here and I I wonder how much of it then sort of washes back into the rankings even though you're much higher on him the rankings with the Jets are tricky and the rankings with backs who are rookies and may have a lot of their production in the second half of the season and or the rankings for players who have a very good backup. And we've talked about the fact that we like Michael Carter a lot. Is that it's it's tricky to project them. You actually have Brees Hall projected. And again, this is a very good highlighting of the differences between rankings and projections. But you have him projected as running back 31, which is even much, much lower. And in my uh, offseason stealing signals piece on the AFC East, I've, t- I've referenced this a couple of times, these offseason ceiling signals pieces where I'm writing about them. Uh, my my noise, highlight the signals and noise for anyone who not familiar with stealing signals. My noise was Brees Hall, and the noise was my projection for him. <laughs> I wrote, as we're buying into some talent and situational uncertainty if we're making this pick, and then I added in parentheses, he'd be one of the worst players in the entire league to too heavily weight a projection for because the projection has to spread some work around and also keep the overall production in the offense down, given how the offense is projected to finish by factors like betting odds. Meanwhile, the upside case for Hall could elevate the whole offense. So that, I mean, the projection, again, I mean, you're you're definitely finding the projections that I'm like, I didn't pay any attention to what I did by rankings and things. I, I get the case for Brees Hall, as I just described it being that he's so good, he elevates the offense that he can be a late season league winner as a rookie. These are all the same arguments we made with Jonathan Taylor a couple of years ago and they smashed. I keep going back to Taylor because Taylor was going in the same range and it was similar where it felt like there was competition. There was Marlon Mack there. People loved Marlon Mack that year. And there was a lot of, you can't take Taylor in the, at the three four turn where he was going which is right around where hall's going and then by the end of draft season he was going early third and that's probably where hall's gonna end up so you're saying there's a chance that my exposure still ends up being reasonable at the end yeah it might actually be good good closing line value there the 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 differences i see are that i think taylor was a little bit of a better prospect you can correct me if i'm wrong on that but like we talked about Taylor's a generational prospect. I know Hall tested incredibly well, great size speed, has a three down profile and looks great. It's not so much about the prospects themselves other than I felt like Taylor was going to be a superstar. And I also think Hall is, but it is a little bit about this projection stuff that I just wrote about saying, or I just read off, off what I wrote saying that it sort of doesn't matter, but I guess I'm concerned about the Jets. I'm concerned about their Vegas level expectations, their win win loss totals. I'm concerned that they're going to be in enough situations to run the ball. Basically, a little concerned about their offensive system. Just talked about be, having the Kyle Shanahan 49ers influence. That's a positive for the running backs. Most Kyle Shanahan running backs are great, but it also has this influence of potentially rotating backs a little bit, which they've done in San Fran, obviously. And they did a little bit with the Jets last year. You have talked a lot about how good Michael Carter was last year and how he's a really interesting way to play this offense. I don't really care so much about the rest of the running backs, but I'm like vaguely still 
worried, I guess, that they have Ty Johnson, who wasn't terrible, and Tevin Coleman, who knows the system, and LaMichael P. Ryan, who they're still kicking around. Not all those guys are going to make the team, but even if Michael Carter goes down, I think they might play those veterans a little bit. Basically, I I don't think the Jets are going to be competitive. I don't think they're going to be in a situation where they feel like they need to ride Hall. I think they have enough depth that even if the Marlon Mack thing happens to his biggest primary competition, which obviously Marlon Mack unfortunately tears his Achilles in week one, which really kind of opens the door for Taylor. But even if, say, Carter has a serious injury, I think the Jets have a, you know some guys that know the system and were there last year. I'm just getting this feeling that the Jets are not going to be good enough to want to ride Hall and that, that it's essentially going to become, look, we took this guy in the second round. He was probably a late first round talent. Obviously, you know, running backs in the first round is a big discussion point, but Brees Hall looked like he could have been a first rounder. We're stockpiling talent. We did the same thing with Garrett Wilson. We're just getting so much talent, as much talent as we can, because we're rebuilding the Jets. We don't know if we have the right quarterback in place. And if we don't, that's going to be bad news for this year, obviously. But that they took Hall more from a best player available perspective than, hey, we're taking him to ride him. They also, I don't think, have the other thing I really liked about Taylor's rookie season was a really strong offensive line in place. They don't have quite the same offensive line in place. Although I do think their running game can, can probably be fine. But I guess it's just really hard for me to see scenarios late in the year where what we know can happen with rookies are going to happen. And so I had Hall on my list for this discussion as well, because I want to talk through you, talk through this with you and get you to get me more hyped on Hall. Because what I am feeling is the Jets have too much running back depth. They're not good enough. They're not going to score enough points. And they're going to kind of treat it like, why would we run him into the ground in year one? And rather that Brees Hall, we're going to want to be on him for 2023. That his rookie season looks a lot more like Javante Williams last year, which was fun and good, but we never got to see the actual breakout. He was kind of in a 50-50 split the whole time. And then we're excited for him next year, like we are with Javante Williams potentially being the star. But it's more of just like a feeling thing than, you know, because the the long-term trends would suggest that a player like Brees Hall is a player that you want to be on. And I think – a big part of it for me is that in the fourth round, especially because that's kind of your cutoff for players who have that contingency based upside, but the upside is gigantic. It's not like, Oh, things could fall right to where they return fourth round value. It's that things could fall right to where they return late first round value during the part of the season that matters the most. It was interesting that you mentioned this idea of them accumulating talent and that perhaps they'll hold off for 2023. I could definitely see that. I think that's the smart way to approach building an organization. I do think that once you get into the second year of a rebuild and things are going poorly, it can be very tough to stay patient. You start to get some job pressures on different people within an organization and just, I mean, people are competitive, right? I mean, you think about how much we want to win our fantasy leagues. When these guys are going out there on Sundays, you get the players and the coaches. It's hard to not do everything you possibly can to win that game. And if they need Brees Hall to overcome Zach Wilson, then I think they will ride him. But if they get good play from Zach Wilson and they're competitive, then they have the incentive to use him because now you can win. And so either way, I think there's going to be some push to play him and you mentioned that he's very very good back-to-back 1700 yard seasons there at iowa state the elite testing numbers the portion of it that kind of jumps out to me here with your projection that i find interesting so i wanted to ask you like how strongly you felt about it and if you were concerned about passing volume to the running backs within this scheme kind of in year two we had the situation last year where michael carter and Ty Johnson each had exactly 55 targets. So they combined for 110. My thought would be that, yeah, Johnson is decent. And I think that he will play a little bit. My concern is someone who's also drafting quite a bit of Michael Carter. And you might think, well, it's it's odd that you'd be targeting a bad offense and the running backs, but the prices work for both of these guys. And they're both so good that, you know, again, it's a talent-based play. Brees Hall was a guy that despite... All of those rushing touches at Iowa State, he also had 82 total receiving uh, receptions. He had over 700 receiving yards. He's a big play back in that portion of the game as well. 
the big reason that he finishes down at running back 31 is that you have him projected for 27 targets. I could easily see him closer to 50, and that would obviously change him quite a bit in terms of what his fantasy value would be. So this is, uh, I mean, this is fun. <laughs> I guess this lines back right back up with the Javante Williams comparison I just made because Williams and Carter played together at UNC, and Carter was the pass catcher, right? And a big reason Javante Williams didn't show receiving numbers in college. And Javante Williams went on to be a really good receiver last year in his first year with the Broncos. Carter, sort of a receiving back. And so I'm projecting him to get quite a few more targets in Hall, projecting him to play on pass downs, projecting their decision to have drafted Hall as being more of this one-two punch where Carter is playing the third down role and all of that. Maybe that's too thin in terms of where I'm at with Hall's targets, but it was partly a a projection trick, right? Where, like I said, I I wanted Carter's projection to look solid as well. And I expect him to be a pretty good receiving back, frankly, and and somebody that could have standalone value and worth is worth targeting. And, and we've talked about that. Then you also talk about Ty Johnson and, and some of the other guys that maybe would even fill that role if if Carter went down. But not not I'm not going to talk about them a lot because I don't I don't actually think that's a huge deal. What I want to look at, I'm, I'm pulling up the Rotoviz AYA app with the targets last year is. The key thing in their target rate is that there were huge running back target numbers when Mike White played and when Joe Flacco played. And I'm trying to figure out where Carter's targets came from last year and was going to look up Ty Johnson's as well. But So Michael Carter got 21 targets from Zach Wilson last year. He got 30 from Mike White. Zach Wilson threw 383 passes. Mike White threw about a third, 132. So he got about 50% more targets from the guy who threw one third as many passes last year. It was that extreme. Zach Wilson, a little bit more mobility in the pocket, big arm, a little bit more of a vertical passer, not the type of, you know, running back dump off guy that you might want for Hall or for Carter. We saw, like I said, Mike White throw to the backs a ton. I put Ty Johnson. He got, uh, more targets from Zach Wilson than Mike White. 31 from Zach Wilson, 19 from White, five from the other quarterbacks, Josh Johnson and Joe Flacco. But again, in, in my projections, because of that really high tar- running back target rate, rate, especially from Mike White, who had a couple starts through 130 passes, and I just said 30 of them went to one running back and 20 to the other. He had 50 of those 130 targets went to running backs. I mean, he was basically just checking down. It was beautiful for that you know zero RB stretch. We picked up Ty Johnson, we played him. Zach Wilson's – I don't have the like exact you know RB target rate. I'm kind of doing this on the fly with the, the great AYA app from Rotoviz. But, I again, yeah, Zach Wilson's running back target rate is a concern. I, I lowered their running back target rate quite a bit. And in part because I rate – you know, I have Garrett Wilson in the offense now, and I have Elijah Moore, and I have three new tight ends who I don't have for a lot of targets. But I have Corey Davis, and I have – you know, even Braxton Berrios is going to mix in and – Elijah Moore and Barrios are going to do some stuff in short areas of the field. And Barrios is actually a pretty good target earner for a wide receiver four. This guy's actually an above average wide receiver four around the league. So I have the receiving or the wide receiver targets pretty high. And as a result, I don't have the overall running back targets particularly high. And like I said, I, I probably put too many of them onto Carter and not enough onto Hall. I could be wrong on both of those elements. Wilson could learn to check down a little bit more. He could throw to the running backs more than I'm projecting. And it could be a more even split than what I have with Carter getting a lot more of the receiving work. But that's also something we've seen in the Kyle Shanahan offenses back in San Francisco as well, is the running backs don't get a lot of targets. I mean, if you pull out Kyle Juszczyk's target rate, San Francisco running backs don't get anything. I don't think people realize that. We haven't really talked about that. You're not looking for a, uh, an Arian Foster type of season from Brees Hall here? It's not. That's probably not going to happen exactly. Yeah. And so – that's the other really big part of Hall's profile that I love and want to be on. And then I look at, you know, a projection, which I don't want to let the projection influence me too much. But I think this is a part of a projection that I I want to care about. They have good receivers. And I'm not thrilled about how many targets the running backs as a whole are going to get or Hall's ability to be the main running back weapon in the passing game. I think he will be used in the passing game, and I'm probably light. I don't think he's getting 27 targets. I think you said 50. 
probably going to be 35 or 40 is what I would say. I don't think it's 27, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Does that concern you at all? No, I think those are all good points. I was going to mention that so many of the targets came when Wilson was not on the field. That's definitely relevant that the pass catching apparent numbers for the backs last year there and with the Jets are a little bit inflated. The reason that I mentioned Arian Foster is maybe completely irrelevant. But when I think about Kyle Shanahan and how his offense and the general scheme could potentially run, that it has some flexibility and that I do think it's built to run through the best players. I think about his last season as the offensive coordinator with the Houston Texans in 2009. And again, say, Sean, I mean, that was a long time ago. We've had a lot of new information since then. But that was a year in which Andre Johnson goes for 1,569 yards. It's a season where Matt Schaub throws for over 4,700 yards. Again, Matt Schaub right it was actually the year after that the arian foster blew up with rick dennison as the offensive coordinator there in houston so not only is this a long time ago but kyle shanahan not the offensive coordinator when foster made that jump but i think that there is the potential for this big picture way of playing offense to really favor and showcase the stars in it. And I think that's the reason that I'm a little bit more excited about Brees Hall and Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson than the market. And then within the context of at least that possibility that we could be a little bit wrong on how good the jets are or when they get here. And one of the things that Ben, you and I have talked about from time to time is that it's better to be a little bit too early than too late on a team and on players, especially for getting decent prices. Now, I mean, if you're not getting decent prices, then none of that is true, but and that's the question with Hall, but sorry. Yeah. And so from that perspective, I want to make sure that I'm in on these guys if they end up being league winners and if Zach Wilson plays okay. From my reading of the beat reports, he's been inconsistent in camp. There have been some times they were frustrated that there wasn't more progress, and then there have been these highlights that have given them at least this glimmer of hope it may still just be a glimmer but that they use the number two overall pick on a player who at the very least can be a starting nfl quarterback maybe not a superstar if he's a starting nfl quarterback then i think players like elijah moore garrett wilson and Brees hall can put up some numbers you mentioned the price there i guess with hall too i think that you know one of the things that we saw last year is that heinz is actually a very very good receiving back but Jonathan Taylor is almost impossible to take off the field. Now it was different when he was a rookie, right? Where he didn't play the numbers, but we don't know exactly when these guys are going to arrive either in terms of when they arrive from a, as a full blown NFL stars or when their coaches will think that they are, because I mean, the coach obviously gets to decide who's on the field and, and what the play call is. So the, the player himself doesn't necessarily dictate that even if he's playing well, but the upside for me with Brees Hall in the fourth round and, and mostly i'm getting him around like the, the 410 right if you're talking about almost the four five turn I, I do like to make that bet because the upside from there I, I think that especially if you look at the second half of the nfl season the chances that he puts up late first round value are worth making that bet and and to be clear because I don't want to seem like I'm the, the low guy in Brees Hall. I have him ranked ahead of Nick Chubb at RB16. A small tier, as you noted, I clarified, but only two spots behind ETN. You're not getting ETN in the fourth. He's going at the 2-3 turn on most drafts right now. Sometimes he falls in the third. But at 405 or 410, I, I would assume that Brees Hall would be the highest-ranked running back on my list for a route almost. So just want to be clear about that. Well, you also have Dobbins in that same spot. And we've talked about Dobbins enough that we probably don't need to go into detail on him. But I, I did want to ask you quickly, as we're doing projections, you have him at 196 carries. Would that firm up or, or get higher as you get yeah. more confidence in his health? Yep. I didn't even know I was, I guess, that low on him. Let me check my notes. Yeah, I wrote, it's all dependent on Dobbins' health. I think I did this pretty early in the process, which means in June maybe or early July. Like literally I spend a, a lot of time with each team thinking about how I want to project it. And this year more than ever. And that's part of why we've done three shows on 
these projections because a lot of these offenses have changed so much. We talk about it all offseason, and it's fun to sit and talk about how was this all going to fit together because it's different than it three years ago when we had Drew Brees' Saints every year and we had Tom Brady's Patriots every year. It was just what are the names that I'm plugging into each of the roles, and it's the same freaking offense. Aaron Rodgers, Packers, and keeps Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson, Seahawks. Every team was the same. Not Not every team. Half the league, it felt like, was the same as the year before. Or you had two or three years of data where, yes, obviously things have always changed every NFL offseason. There's always turnover. But you, you had the same quarterback in place. You had the same head coach. This year has been incredible. And that's that's why we're, we're doing these deep dive shows, I guess, into our projections. Because this is something we've been talking about all offseason. It's, a, it's such an important year to consider what's going to be different. We already know NFL seasons are chaotic. This is going to be one of the most fun ones ever. I mean, this is going to be such a fun, fun season. Some of these players on new teams, big names, are not going to fit in. And we're, I think, too optimistic across the board probably a little bit. Um, or not, I wouldn't say too optimistic, but we're, we're optimistic across the board because we're kind of just like, what do we do with all these massive names that change teams? Some of them are not going to fit in. Some of them are not going to work. A lot of that stuff. So anyway, it took me a really long time to get through these projections. This one in particular was a very long time ago. Uh, I would... Definitely be shifting some work off of Gus Edwards, who's supposedly behind in his rehab. I also was a little higher on their pass rate just to sort of artificially see. And we talked about Mark Andrews on a prior show. And I think one criticism you can make of my Mark Andrews projection is I was at that 58% pass rate. I talked about how they could potentially be closer to 50. That would that would mean more carries for J.K. Dobbins as well, not just shifting and, a share over. And to be clear here, at 196 carries, you have him projected out as running back 18. And for me, again, I mean, I'm very open to the fact that I could be wrong on Dobbins. And there are some elements of it that's a little bit more of a narrow path if you don't think that the receiving volume is necessarily going to be there. But when you're talking about running back 18 with 196 attempts, the sky's the limit if he gets up into the range that we think he could get, if they end up being an explosive offense that's run-based and he stays healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he gets to 250 carries. I read somebody, I can't remember who, but a pretty smart writer was talking about how Dobbins was the potential to be very efficient on the ground. It, it was it was Sean, for any of the listeners who don't realize what I'm doing here. Since we're at the 50-minute the mark, too, it's always a good time to throw in those bold predictions for the people who have yeah. stuck around. It. He was 6.0. yards per carry as a rookie, and you made a really compelling case that we should essentially – I have him – I might have him as my highest yards per carry guy in the league this year. Just So much of that – we're worried about his health, but so much of that is Lamar Jackson. Every running back in this offense has five-plus yards per carry because defenses – we've talked about the rushing quarterbacks, how defenses have to leave somebody on the edge in case they pull it. When it's Lamar Jackson, you got to leave three dudes on the edge. Like, he will just make that guy miss and then gain 20 yards. I mean, and that's – been known he has 2000 yard rushing seasons to his name already that helps jk dobbins a lot the way that, that teams have to defend i don't understand all the ins and outs of the running game i know enough to know that a lot of ravens running backs have run to a lot of open space over the last few years because they're playing with lamar jackson but back to the hall and in, Etienne, well, so, uh, go ahead also we i mean in case there hasn't been enough hyperbole in the article, I did ask the question of what we would have seen if Jamal Charles or Barry Sanders had played with Lamar Jackson. That And that's what I loved about the article because that, that was where I was like, okay, I'm in. And maybe J.K. Dobbins isn't those guys, obviously, but it is, it's fun to think about, isn't it? Jamal Charles or Barry Sanders with less guys in the box? Brees Hall... Uh, I, I have the half tier or tier or whatever behind ETN. I do also want to re- reference that that's because ETN's at, you know, running back 14, right behind Mixon, Fournette, some of these really big workhorses. We are getting positive camp reports from Trevor Lawrence. It sounds like he's having a really good camp. They don't have the receivers that the Jets have. He's not, he's not immobile, but he's definitely a, a player that he threw to the running backs at a pretty good rate last year that I, I think he's going to throw to the backs plenty. And I'm pretty down on James Robinson and the rest of the depth. I've, I've talked about James Robinson's return being something we should probably be a little skeptical on. We've talked about that a lot in the last couple of months. And so all of those factors together for me, it's like, I can see 
I actually think probably Hall is a better prospect than ETN. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. But we do have to figure out team context in a little bit. And I I think the scenarios where ETN's so good that he just gets to take over the backfield are a lot easier to see than where Hall could be really good, but basically have a rookie season that's something like, you know, Adrian Peterson's rookie season, which was fantastic years ago, but he was still splitting with Chester Taylor. He really was good and took over a lot of the work, but he didn't get all the work until year two. Uh, there was another back. Oh, I guess it was JT, but I was, I, I wrote in my notes, similar backs to Hall typically saw at least 200 carries as a rookie. I barely have him over 200 AP. I mean, that was a whole different era. Very, very run heavy team, more run heavy than any team in 2022 could basically possibly be. But he, I think he did see 200 carries, but I'm not sure if he even led the Vikings, um, you know, splitting with Chester Taylor. Right. That was a comp that I thought actually fit really well for Brees Hall because Taylor to me was sort of similar to the Michael Carter role in this offense. And they also didn't have a, necessarily a great passing game on that Viking team. There's some concern this Jets team, not a very good passing game. Peterson was good as rookie. He was he was actually great for fantasy, but he was more of a sixth round pick because back then people didn't take, even if they were superstars that went in the top 10, like Adrian Peterson, they didn't take rookies in the top three or four rounds. He got him in the sixth round. And part of why he was good is he hit a lot of long runs, a lot of long touchdowns, and was you know very explosive. And that's certainly in the range of outcomes for Hall. It's why I'm not moving Hall, you know, into my dead zone and, and saying hands off. But I do think the path for him is narrower where he goes. Sometimes I like what you said about the fourth round. I'm very in on him mid fourth to late fourth. I do think talking through this, and, and the more I talk to, I, I mean, I guess I want to know your thoughts on ETN. What I said about ETN. Yeah, and so you mentioned that Brees Hall is a better prospect, but that's, uh, again, contextual. ETN, I think, is a better prospect than people realize. I, I have both of those guys above, in my personal prospect rankings, a little bit above where the community is. Not wildly above, but above. And then ETN not only has a profile that's a little bit easier to score fantasy points with lower total opportunity, which is somewhat straightforward with the receptions, but he's also a better fit for what his offense desperately needs in 2022. Yes. And so from that perspective, you've got a very easy path to a solid running back season. And so you want to... But Hall might be the superstar. When you say solid, you're thinking ETN's elite ceiling might not be what Hall's is. And I, I think I feel that way too. Yeah, and I mean, ETN has has risen to the point where there's less room to outperform. Yeah. And then I guess in some of these situations, I, I just try and be a little bit restrained. And it's obviously just a little bit because I'm very enthusiastic with drafting all these players. But to try not to, to get up to where I'm getting them in every draft, if I'm concerned that the coaches are not going to have the same perception of how you win football games that I would have. I mean if I were coaching the Jaguars this year, ETN would threaten McCaffrey levels of receiving work because that's going to get the Jaguars yeah. to be successful. We don't tend to see that many teams play it that way. It's certainly not impossible. You get some big seasons from some of these receiving backs, even to where receiving only backs like Darren Sproles can every once in a great while score toward the top. But if they push Robinson out there, even in an inefficient role or someone else and ETN does lose those touches, then it pushes him down to where it's going to. So like, for example, when we talk about your rankings, you have Camara at 11, Fournette at 12, Mixon at 13 and ETN at 14. I like that. That's where the, I would have them at the same time. And then you have that mini tier break with James Conner. It's easy for me to envision a scenario in which the Jaguars aren't looking at football quite the same way that I am. Yeah. And that he has a lot of trouble getting to the volume that a James Conner would get. And one of the things with Conner is that, yeah, I mean, he doesn't bring the explosiveness, but the high value touch profile on the Arizona offense is very, very favorable. Now I think that, Eno Benjamin actually has a chance to steal a pretty decent amount of the workload, but that's, that's something that's very conjectural. I mean, we don't have evidence to that, it, you know, backing that up really other than the coaches and his teammates and the writers are saying, Eno looks fantastic until you see that actually play out in a meaningful way in an NFL football game. I think you have to at least tilt 
the probabilities in the direction of thinking that James Conner is going to get a big high value workload. And so for ETN to beat that, I mean, maybe he has to be in a really favorable version of the Jaguars offense and one that you or I would call plays for, maybe not the one that Jacksonville actually call the place for. And then again, like right behind Kamara and Fournette and Mixon, I mean, you're talking about being right behind guys who, I mean, they're locked into pretty big workloads. Yeah. I have ETM projected for quite a bit more receiving than Mixon, not Fournette. When I say quite a bit, I mean 14 targets, not, you know, an absurd amount more, but not Fournette. Um, Who was the other one he's right behind? Oh, Kamara. Yeah. And uh, quite a bit less than Camara, who's another guy I had on my list I don't want to talk to you about, but I don't know that we'll get to. We'll have to soon enough. This conversation was really helpful because I think I would take ETN over Mixon straight up. But I it talked about how I let ADP influence it a little bit, and I kept ETN behind Mixon because Mixon goes in the top half of the second round quite frequently. ETN goes well into the third sometimes. And so I was thinking about Etienne in those contexts and the context of his ADP as well, that I want to be like basically a little bit higher on market on, on ETN. But as we talk through this, and so the whole thing that I had been thinking about this tier break between Etienne and Hall, which you talked about how I mentioned in the mailbag, one of the things I, I wrote about in the mailbag was this was a note I had from the draft I did in my initial rankings. How do I have Etienne and Hall in different tiers? Because they, they don't feel right. And everything that I was thinking about was I can't bring Brees Hall into that tier for all the reasons that we talked about. I have concerns about that. Still think that, like we discussed, there's going to be draft scenarios where Brees Hall, if you're using my rankings, is the best available running back. But I think talking through this with you, the answer is become pretty clear, which is just that ETN should probably be moved down into the tier that Hall is in. And I think I will make that change. And I, it honestly feels like a weight off my shoulders because this has been confusing for me for the last couple of days. <laughs> so well, I appreciate you talking through it with me. <laughs> you'll still get a lot of ETN too, if you move him into that next tier. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's going to be the same rank. It probably doesn't make a huge amount of difference, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get him and I'm excited to, to watch the Jaguars. I, I just wish they had one receiver who was a difference making kind of guy. But again, yeah. I mean, that should play to ETN's favor overall. It should, but you're right. If they had, I mean, Kirk, good, probably not great. If we got somebody in there that could really be a star, that could be a pretty interesting offense that we'd be talking about as a potential have offense if Doug Peterson can get them going, if Lawrence takes a big step forward, et cetera. Sean, we're running a little long. I have, I mean, probably two more shows worth of notes that we could go into. <laughs> But I think probably we hit on all of the most important stuff. Some of it is stuff that we have talked about. I have the Giants, again, as a team that are very fun to play, could be very pass-heavy. I do think we talked about that as I was going through my projections a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But a, but a team may be worth considering. The Titans, I have a note here that I found in my projections that I think is, is really fun. They had uh, nine non-running backs with 10-plus targets last year stretching up to their top target earners. Only two of them are returning. Nick Westbrook, Akine, he had 57 targets. Jeff Swain, who had 40. And it's, you know, the reserve tight end. They brought in Austin Hooper. So anyone who's, like, really concerned about Traylon Burks not learning the offense, like, maybe just consider the fact that everyone in their passing game has to learn the offense. This sort of Then he's, he's not running with the first team yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not particularly worried about him. You have Robert Woods at wide receiver 60. That doesn't necessarily feel wrong to me, but it it's interesting within the context of having Brandon Cooks and Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 25 and 26. When we think about guys who are getting pushed into a certain range because they're almost certainly get targets, you think that Traylon Burks is going to make sure that Rob, Robert Woods is not really one of those guys. Yeah, Woods is one I've looked at that I... It, again, this gets back to using ADP a little bit. McLaurin and Cooks, I have in a range where you're not getting them. I have them a tier behind where you would have to draft them, and then I just put them at the top of the next tier. Cooks, McLaurin, Allen Robinson. 
it's part of why there was such a big gap between Amon Ra and Elijah Moore is like I put these guys that I don't want to take, Cooks, McLaurin, and Robinson into the next tier, but they wind up in between Amon Ra and Elijah Moore. Probably not the right way to do rankings, but it's sort of the way I think through it. Uh, just so I don't get so many questions about, you know, you forgot to rank Terry McLaurin. When I get lower, there's a lot of guys that I'm excited about, like the KJ Hamlers of the world, that I want to get into a pretty draftable range in my ranks. And so then when I get some players like Robert Woods, who's actually right in front of Russell Gage, I, I, put, I end up pushing them all the way down to wide receiver 60, basically. So it's one of those things where, like, I'm just not taking either of them is the way that, to read this or either of those groups of, of receivers, but I wouldn't put too much weight into cooks. I, I'm hoping that setting it up this way means that no one using these ranks would ever be in a position where they would need to draft or be it's, it's telling them to draft cooks or McLaurin or Allen Robinson or Robert Woods or Russell Gage. Any of those guys are, are all sort of fades for me. You have Terry McLaurin with 135 targets <laughs> you're just That's... gonna try to make me get as low as possible on terry mclaurin <laughs> well and, um, I, again it kind of comes back to there are some of these fun receivers who are in that you know 110 to 120 range uh, and again i mean you've ex- explained and i always set my rankings up at rotaviz as well to where it's pretty clear the players i'm not expecting the readers to actually draft sometimes the rankings get pretty egregious like my non deshaun watson amari cooper ranking but with mclaurin you're 135 targets it's individual people it's not like everyone saying this but we continue to hear after the great off season that Jahan dotson had we continue to hear people actually come out and say that he's been their best player in camp and for me that makes terry mclaurin even scary in sort of the wide receiver 26 range when you're thinking in terms of how bad this offense can be what carson wentz is like the fact that mclaurin has underperformed his peripherals in part because of poor quarterback play carson wentz could be a downgrade on taylor heineke and i mean Jahan dotson could be the guy i i mean i'm actually having to work to keep myself from taking dotson at this point because he is in there in an interesting adp range even on a team like the commanders, there could be some value, but I'm thinking it might be Dotson instead of McLaurin. Yeah, I like that. In my, uh, this is why I do the big write-ups. My Washington commanders off-season stealing signals write-up starts with, I've always kind of just thought Terry McLaurin was a little less in the market and I still have a hard time with his price this year. Went on to basically say, I'm not sure what the upside is with his profile in this offense. Feels like a small hit kind of player. He's not going to move the needle much. Maybe I'll move him down even farther than wide receiver 26 if you're afraid that somebody might accidentally draft him. But I am 100% with you on that analysis. I like the idea of Dotson. I also think those reports on Wentz, Sean, I've been wanting to talk to you about. How soon might we see our boy Sam Howell? Well, not until he moves up to the QB2, but... <laughs> Yeah, that might be the headache there. But also, Dotson and, and Wentz are supposedly best buddies, and if Dotson my, plays well enough, I mean, he may he might pull Wentz into the. You can have non egregious losses and save your job for another season. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. I've been feeling like yes, Howell's not going to start Week One, but these super flex best ball Sam Howell bags I have are going to get three or four starts late this year. I love it. I love it. We got to get Sam Howell in there. I wasn't expecting the show to conclude in that direction, but I did force us to talk a little Washington commander. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Ben, I have a number of more things on my list. You have a number as well, but this is our third hour of recording today. We're going to release these over the next week or so we're very excited about uh getting to share them with the community but also getting to do more drafts getting to hear more camp reports getting some preseason games august is the best month of the fantasy football season it is so fun i was telling you before we started this three-hour marathon how excited and jazzed i am and, and we just did three hours and you know me, usually when we try to do this much recording in one day, I'm uh, 
a little worn out by the end, but I, Sean, I could do a fourth and a fifth show with you right now pretty easily. <laughs> but we will save that. We'll save that for next week. It's been a lot of fun. Let us know questions that you have. Again, check out Ben's mailbag on his rankings and projections. So many new articles coming out over at Rotoviz. This has been Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. Stealing Signal, Stealing Lines, Rotoviz, 10% off. You know the codes. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.